All right, well, we're going to study the scriptures for a little bit here, and I have a Bible and a journal that I'd like to give away. I give it to the person they belong to, so I don't know if it's you, but I have an Every Man's Battle Bible and a journal, but there are no names in Oh, there we go, Vince. Hey, everybody, it's Vince. It's here for Vince. All right. So if you would take that Bible and any other Bible you have, or maybe it's an app in your phone, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. Today is an interim teaching. We just finished up a 10-week series in the book of Psalms, and we are going to begin a series in Acts next week. And actually, all the Colossae, service, uh, all the Colossae churches will be starting that series together. So Tiger and Hillsborough and Drumroll... Beaverton. Yeah. Beaverton Colossae will officially start next Sunday, September the 9th. Nice. They're meeting at Beaverton High School. So we ask you to pray this week for that new gathering. It's going extremely well. Uh, they had some people show up, uh, or I should say they prayed over this last week at Tigard. Chuck asked people to stand up who were going so they could pray, and he was a little surprised by how many there were. <laughs> and he looked around and said, I didn't know some of you were going. <laughs> All of that to say, Colossae has this wonderful, healthy way of reproducing, and that's by staying small. So we don't grow any of our churches too large before we plant another one. And honestly, every time we plant, it, Tiger is the one that suffers. I'm grateful that Sherwood is just remote enough that it's not very convenient for any of you to go help out with Beaverton. It's super helpful for Tiger, it's super helpful for Hillsborough, but we live too far away. We live too far away. But... If God is calling you, and you're ready for another church plan, then we would bless you to go to the end of the in high school next week. So let's be praying this week about that. All right. Matthew chapter 6. So a transition between Psalms and Acts. How do you do that? I want to remind you today, because we're going to be talking in Acts about the kingdom of God moving forward. Jesus came to start an entirely new way of thinking and living. The way of Jesus, we call it. It's a way of living in a way that Israel attempted for a couple of millennia. And we saw how in and of ourselves as human beings, we can't really live the way of God. And so Jesus came to say, but if you are with me and if I am with you, then you can live in the way of God. And so we live in this wonderful era where we actually can succeed living in the way of Jesus, not 100%, but little by little as we grow and as we follow Jesus, we can actually live in the way of God. And I want to really remind you today of some of that. None of this will be necessarily new, but it's very inspirational. And sometimes I feel like the truth is hard to remember, because you and I have sat through so many Sunday school classes and Bible studies and podcasts and sermons, and yet it seems like almost as quickly as we get up and walk out the door it just kind of falls off. And so a lot of what we do is remind. And I hope this is a fresh uh, reminder for you today. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. Jesus has just explained to probably several hundred people the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, it was primarily kind of behavior management through following a set of guidelines for life. And it, it relied mainly on the will of people to be faithful to those guidelines and then to act according to the laws. 
And Jesus now says, I, I want you all to know that actually obeying God goes much deeper than behavior. Obeying God and walking in the way of God really has to do with what goes on inside. Like, what do I feel? What do I think? And, and what do I especially feel towards people? So even though you might act nice, if what you feel inside is judgment or hatred or an inappropriate desire for someone, that's still not the way of God. So this is what Jesus has said. I'm sure his followers were thinking, wow, who can follow the way of God? We couldn't even keep our behavior according to rules, and now you're asking us to manage our, our hearts and our minds. What an impossibility. So then Jesus says this in response to that kind of thinking. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Well, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor. They do not spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor was not dressed as well as one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? The pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now here's his concluding statement. But... Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus really made a leap in this teaching to go from something fairly philosophical to something very personal. And he went right to the emotions that he was confident that his people were feeling at the time. So I'm going to talk about that as soon as I find my notes. There's so many things that I can say, and there's so many directions that we could go. And so I want to take a very uh, thin line today in what I want to talk about. And what I want to talk about in line with Scripture and out of the Scripture was this idea of the kingdom of God, and actually under the idea of economy. Um, the scriptures say, I'm sorry, <laughs> the dictionary says, economy is the wealth and resources of a country or region, especially in terms of product and consumption of goods and services, or careful management of available resources. So when we come to Jesus, and when we begin to follow the way of God, daily life doesn't necessarily change. In fact, Paul actually said, in whatever manner you came to Christ, I encourage you to stay that way. So if you were married, stay married. If you were single, stay single. If you were in a certain occupation, go ahead and stay in that occupation. So to walk in the way of God is not necessarily to change our outward context. We can stay in those contexts. So we didn't necessarily change our job, or we didn't move, or we didn't change where we, uh, where we go to school. Those things stay the same. The change that we experience in transferring from the 
kingdom of light, the kingdom of humanity, to the kingdom of God is really an internal change. And today I want to talk to you about that change in the context of economy, closing economy, right? The economy is how humans do life together. This passage says you cannot serve God and money. The actual original said God and mammon. Mammon was kind of a philosophy, a particular God that he believed in. And in that philosophy, and it's true of us, I would say we have kind of a money-based philosophy of how we live life in this country. It's basically an economy of exchange. It's an economy of currency. So I do some work, and in exchange, I'm given some cash. And then others make things, and I take my cash, and I exchange it for those things. And I'm exchanging it for goods, for stuff, and I'm exchanging it for services. And we, in this particular culture here in America, are really good at this. We've kind of mastered it. Capitalism feeds this kind of relating to one another very well. And every relationship we have has some kind of an exchange going on pretty much all day long. Someone does something for you, you do something for them. Uh, this is why the ideas of fairness and equality are so important to us. Because it's an exchange system, we're all kind of advocating for ourselves. We kind of manage our own stuff, and we work for our own stuff. And it's kind of up to you and I to cover the basis for us. So we're kind of independent little households or people or kingdoms doing this exchange thing. So you manage your own checkbook, and you work your own job, and you buy things and you sell things and you serve and you are served based on a very fair well supposedly <laughs> system and so those that are capable and work hard receive more and those that that don't don't and that's the economy that we live in it's certainly the economy of the people that Jesus is speaking to and Jesus is saying my kingdom or the kingdom of my father is radically different than that it's not an exchange system. And I want to compare these two for you just a little bit. So serving money, the basic resources are wealth in this kingdom and its goods and services, as I just explained. And the primary activity of the kingdom of money or currency or mammon is an activity of earning, acquiring, and consuming. I work for it. I buy it. I use it. It's just kind of the way we live daily life. And then relationships between people, as I said, are transactional. I do something for you and you do something for me. And it's fair. We're both putting in, and it makes sense that I ask what I ask because I gave you what I gave you. It's a very fair way to live. Uh, but interestingly, Jesus says, the climate in that environment is primarily anxiety. Now, why is that true? If it's fair and we just all do our part. Why does he say, I know that this primarily produces anxiety? What do you think? Yeah, the, pressure on the pressure's on every individual. Yeah, I... Say that again? Right, I only have enough to cover my own stuff. Some people don't give back, they're not fair. Yeah, and it's really kind of an every human for themselves, potentially. Now, fortunately, we're nicer than that, generally except maybe on Black Friday, so that, that we're polite when it comes to what we do. But really, every single individual has to kind of advocate for themselves. 
And so it's just natural humanly to say, I'm gonna try to do a good job for me. Uh, and then maybe we get married or we have other people in our household or we have children, and then it's us. But it's still the economy is, I gotta take care of us because nobody else is necessarily looking out for us. So it just seems fair that I, I work mainly on, on me and mine. But if we all do that, it'll work out fine, because it'll be fair. But the challenge is, life is not very fair. And so uh, some of us have incredible abilities to be successful in this system. Some of us are not very good at it at all. Some of us enter into hardships in our life that really damage our ability to be a part of the system, to be courageous and to be energetic and to be faithful to a good job. There's just so many complexities in human and broken, corrupted human life that the system actually really favors those that are highly healthy, that have just innate natural gifts, and it really disfavors those that are challenged. And then in, a, in relationships where perhaps a person wasn't well-equipped as a human through poor parenting or through abuse, there's tremendous crippling to be successful in this system. And so the system results in a tremendous amount of anxiety. And I think we could all say that in general, when people ask us how we're doing, we usually talk about our anxiety factor and what's making me anxious or what I've been through. And I think it even for us as Christians creates this time where sometimes I can't wait till Sunday or I can't wait till Friday night or I can't wait till Saturday to get some relief. We talk about living for the weekend, and that means a lot of things, whether you're a Christian or whether you're a partier. It means the weekend has something in it that I love because I get out of this anxious process of buying and selling, exchanging life, doing life. And there's time to relax and to party and to have fun together. So that, those are the two contrasting economies of uh, serving man and serving God. So let me go over with you now what it means to serve God. Same kind of factors we'll go through. So the wealth and resources of the kingdom of God are what? Relationships, which actually means God and people. So the most valuable commodities in the kingdom of God is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and people. That's, those are the values in this kingdom. So not things, not goods, and not services, but God and people. The activities of this economy aren't exchange. What are they? There's a lot of ways to say this. Sorry? Giving. Giving, yeah. That was in contrast to the idea of exchange, right? Like, I might actually offer something and then not go, okay, it's your turn, but actually giving. Here's one way to say this that I think encompasses a lot of things. And I would say that the, the kingdom of God, the activity of the kingdom of God, is primarily about order and beauty and abundance. So order is that God has taken people and he's created some order, and we call it family. So he created parenthood and children, and he created all these external relationships of aunts and uncles and grandparents. He created some order that allows humans to flourish from the time they're born through their young adult life. There's also order in friendships. There's order in, there's just so many ways that there's a sense of order that makes sure that all of you are well-resourced, that every one of you have a few people in your life, because the valuable things in the kingdom of God are and God wants every one of you to have people. And so mom and dad, a brother, a sister, a friend, 
a grandparent, all of us should be resourced by the order of family. Does that make sense? The other thing here, the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God is not as practical as the kingdom of man. So it has something you could almost consider frivolous, and it's called beauty. And so in this economy, God is always looking for beauty to happen. So when you think of creation, he created an abundance of resources to live a beautiful life. And says, take these resources and create gardens. And there's going to be more than enough. You know, it only takes one zucchini plant to feed 20 families. There's going to be more than enough that we can all share. But I want you to create beauty of it. Let's make our gardens beautiful. Let's create art. The economy of America doesn't really... When you think about what's happened in our school systems in the last few years, as money has become less available, we've gotten down to the classes you need to take to be successful in a, in a currency-driven uh, economic system. So we're going to cut out music, and we're going to cut out art, and we're going to cut out um, blue-collar job skills, because those are peripherals. What we need is you all to be successful in school, to get a job, to make money, because that's how you survive, advocating for yourself in this economy. God is saying, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. <laughs> I'm just creating order and beauty and abundance. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. And God has asked us to make a shift from the kingdom of money or currency or exchange into the kingdom of order and beauty and abundance. But without changing jobs and without moving and without changing friends. So it's an internal mindset and a way that he's called us to function. And it's a mindset that brings peace rather than anxiety. So if a community agrees, let's transfer our economy from an exchange economy to a, a grace economy. From an exchange economy to a God economy, let's live in this place of order and beauty and abundance, not in this economy of fair exchange. And believe it or not, I think I've explained where we are at. I mean, I think we are moving in this direction. The challenging thing is that God said through Jesus in Matthew 6, you can't do both. Either you will love the one system and hate the other, or you will cling to the one and despise the other. And, and yet I feel like we do try to do both. And there definitely needs to be some kind of a transition in life. We can't go dead start and stop from one economy to the other. But I do think we need to be encouraging and challenging and calling each other to make the move to where I go through my day with this mindset of love and giving, as Tricia said, not a mindset of I'll do my part and you do your part and we'll both get what we want. In an exchange system, relationships don't have to go anywhere. They can be extremely superficial. You can go to the same bank teller and the same clerk at the store at Fred Meyer and the same gas station attendant for 10 years and see the same people working there and have actually very little human connection with them at all, right? Because that's the way exchange works. It's just fair. We're all advocating for ourselves. But in the kingdom of God, if people are the most valuable asset and that's what the story is all about, I'm going to actually know those people fairly well because over time I will have spent quite a few minutes or hours with them. And if in my economy I'm not thinking, okay, you're pumping my gas and I'm going to give you cash and I'm out of here, but I'm thinking, I'm in the presence of a human. 
these are the most valuable assets in the kingdom that I'm now living in. I'm going to connect with this person. And in fact, I might even go consistently to the same pump where they work because this human and I are kind of getting to know each other. And it's, it's just a new way of relating as human beings. But quite honestly, I think it's the way that every human wants to relate. I mean, who wouldn't want to say, yeah, I hate my job because I scan all these things and if I do something wrong, the person gets mad at me because they're advocating for the exchange system and it's not fair right now because that didn't ring up at the right price. And so they're advocating for a fair exchange. And so that's the nature of my interaction for eight hours is I better do my job really well and not make mistakes because I'll get in trouble. And so I'm face-to-face with humans for eight hours no real exchange. No, I mean, no real connection or relationship. Just doing my job. But I get my paycheck. And so after five days of, oh, I can hardly stand this. I hate my job. I'm going to go party hard on the weekend. And I'm going to be with my friends. And I'm going to have relationship. And I'm going to be where there may not be a lot of order, but there will be some beauty and there'll be some abundance for sure because there'll be a lot of alcohol. <laughs> so we all live for this something, some other kind of thing. But what Jesus has invited you and I into is actually living like it's the weekend every day. Jesus talks about entering into his rest. And he says, of those who rebel, they will never enter my rest. But he says to you and I, he says, I want you to enter into this thing called a Sabbath rest. And I propose to you that in the kingdom of God, as a Christian living under the authority of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, every day could be a day of rest where I don't act out of anxiety for the exchange system I'm living in. But instead, as Matthew 6 says, I trust God. He has made the birds have plenty of food and made the flowers look amazing. If he values people the most, he'll probably take as good care of me as he does other things. Now, it doesn't mean I quit my job and I just, you know, don't do anything anymore, <clears throat> but I now function within my job with tremendous trust in God to provide for me, and I don't have to toil. A lot of this passage said, why do you toil? Why do you struggle? Why do you work hard? You don't need to do that anymore. Instead, we are invited to enter into this restful life for the rest of our lives, where we say, I really don't need to leave space in my life for anxiety. My Father will take care of me. I can now turn my attention to the kingdom of God, to order and beauty and abundance. These are my new activities. People are my new value, not things. And I, I, have, I hate to say, but I sure see today this struggle. I, I've, I want so much to engage with people, but most people I can't engage with in public because they're kind of doing this all the time. And it's just, man, it really, get, it really hurts my heart. I think it would hurt everyone's heart if they stopped to think about it, right? But, but I'm so engaged in this device that helps me in this economy that I get what I want and that I give what I want that I'm not even really connecting with the humans in my presence. Is it, that's not right, is it? I mean, what human would say, that's a good scenario, I'm happy that it exists? Nobody. But what drives us here is this anxiety that I, I need to not miss out on opportunities to exchange and to, you know, to give and take. I want to put in a post and I want to get a like back or a bunch of likes back. It's still, it's still exchange. I'm not exchanging money now. I'm exchanging validation. I'm exchanging interest. 
I'm exchanging attention with you. I, I put out something for you to pay attention to. You pay attention. I get that attention. There's no human here. There's no human interaction happening, but the exchange is happening. I'm putting out. I'm getting back. <clears throat> and our bodies were created to foster whatever we value. And so if I say with my body, I value this kind of interchange, my body says, well, I will help you with that. I will give little dopamine and stuff here and there that will make this system work even better. And so we can condition our minds and our hearts where our body will say, if this is what you value, I'll help you, and I'll make you really good at this. But if we make this transition to say what I really value is people, what I really value is relationships and human connection, your body will assist you in that as well. It's whatever you train it to do. But the sad thing, and what I'm getting at right now is, when we so consistently for such a long time value this economy of exchange, we get our bodies in a really good rut to where we can run in that forever on autopilot. And Peter prayed this morning about God, let us not be on autopilot today, but let us be fresh and new. And that's what God is offering to us, that we would step into freshness and newness. So, you're all shaking your heads. You're all agreeing with me. I think we're on the same page. What can we do today as Colossae Sherwood moving into the fall to more completely make this transfer from this exchange kingdom to this life-giving kingdom of God? And I just have two things in mind as I help lead this community and think it through that I want to share with you. And one is, I believe that we here, because we've chosen to go to church together on Sundays, have one of the greatest potentials to deeply experience this new kind of kingdom. And I think we already are. I mean, I think we already have some friendships, and we have some family, and we have some community, and, we're, and we are living in this a little bit. But what I, what I want to call you to is more, even more. And in a very practical way, that more is actually just spending more time together. This gathering on Sunday isn't really set up for the full experience of this kind of interaction of getting to know you well and you knowing me well and us uh, living in you know, deep care for one another, bearing each other's burdens, encouraging one another, praying for one another, all the things that Paul says. Whenever he says one another, right before he says that is this amazing word, encourage one another, pray for one another bear one another's burdens. That's all the activity of a community that really loves each other. And only some of that happens on Sunday. Only a couple of us get to give, uh, and hopefully you are receiving. But it's really in the context of some kind of faithful getting together separately that we really can go deep. And, And we've chosen in this society to call that small groups or community. And that's just one way. I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's really the most practical way that we can create space in our weekly lives to go deeper with people that we trust and people that we know share these kingdom values that I was talking about. And, I, and we as a community have been closer to this than we were before. About a third of us are in community now, whereas before most of this church was. And so it's really a season where I and the elders and community leaders want to say, hey, wouldn't it be good for us to move back into community and to make space for all of us to be in community. And I'm sharing this with you because I don't want to put together a program and put in some roles and then ask you to sign up for it because that's not going to feel very 
successful. You could cooperate with that, and it might work. But I think what would be way better is if from within each of us out, you made some choices for yourself, for your household, that will get you into community. And that it might look different than a program where you get together and do a certain lesson and do the things we tell you to do. Uh, we really want whatever you do to be what you choose to do and what you believe is going to make your group the best. So just by way of example, I know that we, for a while, started with the programs where you got together every week for dinner, and then um, you were told not to do any Bible study or not to do too much prayer, but just to be a fairly relaxed, casual group so that visitors who come wouldn't feel intimidated by Christian activity, and then you'd go home, and you just did that every week. And that has some purpose behind it, but I don't think it was very successful because uh, we're not really doing it anymore. So I would say instead, how can we all take some amount of initiative to say what does community look like for me and those close to me best? Who are people I'm already kind of connected to? How can we get together and practice community time together well uh, in a way that's life-giving and not just checking boxes in a program? Now, I would say it needs some, some kind of regularity. I would say some things that we do need that are obvious as places to meet, because it's going to be not here, not in this group of 100, but in small groups of a dozen, and meet in homes. So that's kind of a, that anyone ought to say, yeah, that's probably the way we're going to do it. So what does that mean? We need host homes, people to say, hey, my place will work. And then I think the other thing that we need is some people that will agree together that, hey, I'll be in community with you. So we kind of need to group up in some way. And then I think the last thing that we need is a sense of rhythm, like how often are we going to do this, and what are we going to do when we get together? And this is where the variety needs to come in. Not, it happens every week, and every week this is what we do. That's not very life-giving. That's ordered, but it's not beautiful or abundant. And so I would, I would say to you to think outside the box. I can say this, Tigard has also figured out that the old way of doing community wasn't very life-giving. And so here's the rhythm that they're actually all doing. All their communities meet together every other week for a family dinner, so say first and third week of the month, and then on the second and fourth weeks, they actually meet with gender-specific groups. So like on the second week of the month, the men are taking care of the children and the families, and the women are together and out doing something. And then on the third week, fourth week, they trade roles, and the women are with the children, and the men are out doing what they choose to do. So what I'm saying is, the rhythm is up to the group. What you would choose to emphasize in the group is entirely up to you. Right now, the Kreitzers and the Wallies have a community, and one of the great values for them is actually going deeper in the Word, and so one of the primary things they do is study together, and they all love it, and it's exactly what they want. But others of you are different. I know the Bascom community, the, one of the highest values for them is caring for one another, bearing each other's burdens, and praying. And so that's what they emphasize after their meal is they gather, or before, they gather around and share what's going on and pray for one another. For another group, it might be service. You know, we all live around the YMCA, and so we love to serve. The, the um, Lewises are certainly a family like this where service for them is their wheelhouse. So I'm sure in their community, they're offering their community opportunities to serve. So we can do kind of whatever we want, but I think the great value is if we value people, and we want to go deeper in relationship, community is a great way to do it. Where we can, and we need to kind of be disciplined. You know this isn't going to happen spontaneously. How many of you have said, I want to have some people from the church over and get to know them better, to yourself? 
Have any of you thought that? And how well is it going? Is it, it's going really well, and I'm faithful to it. Yeah, it's a wonderful intention, but to make it happen, it needs some kind of order, right? Some kind of commitment, and that's really what community is all about. The last thing I want to encourage you as we move forward into the fall is to discover, if you haven't already, what is your personal calling? God has created all of us with something unique, and maybe more than one thing, some things that we love and that we're really good at. And this is another way in which we can live in the order and the abundance and beauty of God's kingdom is for you to find that and for you to do that. Because that's where we really come alive. Uh, Paul talks about spiritual gifts, that God has distributed all kinds of different gifts to people. That might be what we're talking about. Or it might be a passion that you have, something you just love. But what is it? Because if we in community can find those things and do those things, they will take us a long way to fulfilling the kingdom of God. And here's some examples of this. So um, about four months ago, uh, Jessica Johnson came to me and said, I'm a part of... Uh, a gospel singing group, and we are doing some concerts or a concert this summer, and this is her passion. She loves to do it. I think it's her calling because Jessica lives a very full and busy life, but this is something she'll make room for, and she'll sacrifice, and she'll go to rehearsals, and she'll do the work of emails and setting things up. And so as a church, we want to affirm your calling, and we said, let's do it. This is your idea. This is your passion. Let's make it happen. And that's how Praise in the Park happened because her vocation is worship in music. That's what she's called to. That's what she loves to do. And we as a community said, we love your vocation. We'll get behind you. Let's make it happen. Jane Wally has... Jane, how would you describe your passion? What is it about um, mending the soul that is so life-giving for you? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and to you in particular. See, this is Jane's calling. Jane is called to be a healer, to be an emotional healer, or to be a part of emotional healing. So when there's an opportunity to go that direction, you're like, I'm on board, what can I do? And you've been trying to recruit others to join you for a year now, and that's happening. And we've been a part of that, and we've tried to connect with you, women who would want to be a part of that. So that's your calling and vocation. So I'm saying all this to say one of the things that deeply helps us engage the kingdom of God is to figure out our vocation. What's the thing you're called to do, and then how can you engage that within the church and outside of the church, both? The Lewises love to serve. This is their wheelhouse. This is their calling. And so every time there's an opportunity in the neighborhood to do some kind of service, they're coming and saying, hey, can we do this? Can we make an announcement? And we as a church are saying, yes, we can. Let's make an announcement. Let's invite others to do it. And that's your wheelhouse. It gives you joy. You love to bring other people into it. And again, this is something that, that we can apply to communities and to church to bring life to what we're talking about. So rather than everybody having a Bible study in their house that meets every week, 
and we kind of come and go, I probably ought to do this, but I don't love it. What if we followed the way of God in our communities and we discovered, hey, what's your calling? What's your calling? What's your calling? I think Nate is, is called to be a discipler and a leader of men. And so we're having a men's breakfast, and Nate is leading that. This is his calling. And maybe Nate will form around him a group of friends that will be a part of that, and might be a community in that way as well. God's made, wired us all differently. We all have different callings. But I would ask yourself two questions as we take away from this message is, am I as deeply in community as I want to be and I have time for, or do I want more? And if I want more, how do I do that? What does that look like? And you have resources here to do that. And number two, what is my calling? What am I uniquely gifted to do? What am I passionate about that I can really go after? <clears throat> and can I engage other people around me from my church and from my family to go there with me? <clears throat> and I believe if... Sorry. Walking around has maybe not been a good idea today. But we'll work on it. I just... I, so much more comfortable this way. <laughs> But I I would ask you to consider as we go to worship and as we pray, and just especially throughout this next week, to ask, am I as deeply involved in the community as I want to be? If you are, great. But if you want more, I would encourage you to take some initiative to pursue more. We'll provide some framework and some houses and stuff, but pursue more. And then number two, am I really living into something I'm called to right now? Am Am I experiencing life because I'm living out the calling that God has given me? Just see where the Holy Spirit leads as you do that. Peter, you're going to come up and lead us in worship. We're going to have lunch after this, by the way. But I, I want to remind you of one thing. I really believe that, that God loves this community. And um, I am watching tremendous favor from God on this community. I believe that we have God's favor as a community. He keeps providing for us. Uh, He keeps working things out that don't seem like they're going to work out. Uh, When we gather, there's a strong sense that the Holy Spirit is here. And it's not in the level of skill of the preacher or the worship leader. You're not gathering here for skill. You're gathering here for real connection and real faith with God and other people. And that's who we always want to be as as a community. As a community that gathers in Jesus' name. And I just feel like that's happening. And I, Do you agree with that? Do you think that God's favor is on Colossae Sherwood? Do you sense that he's with us when we gather together? Blessing what we're doing. Yeah. I, I just want you to know how beautiful and how incredible that is. And, and to not take it for granted. And don't, please don't let our gathering together as a community be an event that, that you come to when it works. But if God is among us, and as God is saying, I love you as a community, and I want to be with you, I, I think we, we ought to make that a huge priority, to be in that place as often as we can, gathered in the presence of God, letting him work and change us. I hope that this hour and a half for you is tremendously valuable every week. Again, not based on skill of humans to lead or present, but based on the reality that God is here and that we all love him and that to be with him is incredible and to be with each other is incredible. Right? Yeah. All right. Peter.